Hey everyone, and welcome to the Central Church Podcast. While we're in lockdown, we've put together some short reflections and spiritual practices to help get us through. We hope that during this time, these podcasts find you well and help you to connect with God. Hi everyone, it's Carrie here. This podcast episode is a contemplation on some of the writings of Julian of Norwich from her book, The Revelations of Divine Love. We've designed it so it's kind of like something that you can sit with and soak in, perhaps even a bit like Alexio Divina, where you let the words wash over you and you ask God to speak to you. Julian of Norwich isn't a saint or a doctor of the church, which are titles that are just given to important influences in the life of Christianity, but she is undoubtedly a mystic and someone who has so much to offer us about the nature of God and of life. I'm the first to admit that the mystics are actually really hard to read and sometimes incredibly hard to relate to. Julian says some amazing things, but she's also a product of her time, um, a product of Catholicism in the Middle Ages. She had like a a vision of Jesus, um, this divine vision of Jesus, and it was one that was primarily of him being crucified. And as she goes on to describe these sort of visions that she had, there is a lot of blood flowing from the side of Jesus. There's a lot of blood splashing everywhere. Um, She has images of the wounded Jesus and the crown of thorns. And there's a lot about Mother Mary. It's like the passion on steroids. And when I read, when I read things like that, it just, for me, feels really foreign and bizarre. And to be honest, a little bit off-putting. But beyond the visions themselves that she describes, most of her writing is where she shares these beautiful revelations of the love of God. She talks about God as a nurturer and sustainer, as a lover. She talks about the joy and bliss and delight that God has in us and that we have in him. The truth is, the first time I read um, Revelations of Divine Love, I had to do so for um, a a theology subject I did back when I was studying theology. And to be honest, I actually just thought that Julian must have been mentally unstable. Like, I didn't read the whole thing, but the bits that I did read, I was just like, I cannot see anything good in this. It was just, it was just all too weird. But since then, I think that was probably about 15 years ago, something has changed in me. Maybe it's a longing for the depth of the love of God and the wonder and the joy of the mystics. Maybe I've just become a little bit more comfortable with the writings of different mystics and with the the notion of the contemplative life itself. Maybe I realize that the things that these guys talk about and Julian does too is something that actually I deeply long for 
And maybe even if the language is quite old and it's a little bit hard to get into, I've come to realize that the richness that we can find within is actually really worth the digging. Earlier this year before lockdown, which to be honest, feels like a lifetime ago, I actually went away by myself for five days and four nights. It's the first time I've been away on my own um, with nobody else um, for a very long time. And I did so because I had just felt this longing inside of me for silence and I felt I just needed to get away and to be with God and to be by myself and just to rest and to be and to be honest I really didn't know how that time would go I didn't know if I would hate the silence and being by myself or if I would love it like it would it definitely was an experiment for me but one of the things I took with me was Julian of Norwich's book Revelations of Divine Love And I had these amazing days where I just took, packed a backpack, I packed lunch, I packed snacks, I packed Julian. I had my swimmers on and my my joggers and I just walked the national park down the coast. I walked and I swam and I went through the bush and I explored rock platforms and I sat in the sun And I read Julian's Revelations of Divine Love. And it has become for me just this moment of feeling entirely safe and in love with God. And like Julian talks about oneing, about being one with God. And for me, that whole experience of these silent days of me walking and swimming and Julian have just formed in me a deep appreciation for both her writing and beyond that, just helped me connect more and more with God and so there's a little bit I I acknowledge that for me there's some deep good memories associated with some of these words that we're going to use in this podcast Julian um, just maybe just I think I should share before we get into it just a little bit about her Um, so Julian lived in the 14th century she was born in 1343 And the details of her life are pretty vague and sketchy, like they are for anyone of that time. She didn't write much um, that indicated what her personal life was like. So a lot of what we think about her, some of it's joining the dots and some of it's because there is a little bit written down. Um, In a lot of Julian's writing, she speaks so much about motherhood and she often talks about the motherhood of God. But she writes with... um, such passion and such detail that there are many people who um, assume that she must have herself at some stage been a mother. And she she also writes in such a way that makes you realize that she must have been acquainted with grief and loss and pain. And so it's also kind of like speculated that maybe at some point she lost her family. Maybe she watched her husband and her children die in one of the many plagues that swept through in her lifetime. So she lived in Norwich, which is a city in England, which at the time was the second most important city after London. And it was a thriving center of agriculture and trade. And the Black Plague swept Norwich during Durian's lifetime. And it's estimated that it killed up to half the population in its first wave, 
And then after that, there were two more waves throughout Julian's lifetime. And she also lived through a, a peasant revo- revolt in 1381 when, when the city of Norwich was overwhelmed with rebel forces. So this is, you know, despite when you read Julian of Norwich, it's overflowing with wonderful language. She's not a woman unacquainted with chaos, plagues, sickness, death, pain, like that that was all real for her in her lifetime and quite i think one of the reasons why i've been drawn a bit more to julian's writings is because we've essentially been experiencing a plague ourselves and we've been in lockdown and we've experienced isolation many of the same things that julian's life experienced and yet she has these overwhelming um, understandings of the love of god but at the age of 31 Julian, actually, we don't actually even know if her name was Julian. This is this is another thing. We have no details of who she was. All we know is that she was an anchorite in a church in Norwich called St. Julian's. And so everyone refers to her as Julian of Norwich, but we know that's probably not at all her name. But anyway, at the age of 31, she had a near-death experience where she almost didn't make it through the night. She was suffering from an from an illness and during this night she was really close to death and she had a vision of Jesus and then what she later described as 15 more showings or visions um, all during this night where she nearly died. Um, After she recovered she actually spent the next 20 years unpacking these 16 revelations of God that she had and seeking understanding so that she could share um, these visions of God with other people and incredibly Julian was one of the first women to write in English um, the English language and she was a contemporary of Chaucer and she did indeed actually make up several words that are now just an ordinary part of our English language so she was an anchorite which is not a common phrase for us and what that means is she was a woman who voluntarily chose a life of self-isolation so she wasn't a nun but after a lengthy process of prayer and discernment both by her and by the priests probably around her at the time she decided that she wanted to live a life of seclusion of of being an anchorite in the church at St. Julian. So what would have happened is there would have been this, you know, grandiose church ceremony that would have taken place, which was essentially like a funeral service for Julian, except she was still alive. And um, after they'd sung the Psalms from the office of the dead, they would there and she you know kind of almost had like a purification rites for death she would have been led into this little brick cell or this brick room that was attached to the side of the church and she would be literally shut in that room and the door would be barred or even bricked up and then she would live in this room attached to the side of the church for the rest of her life until she died it's a quite amazing I can't like we, we we've experienced kind of like isolation and being locked down for the last 100 or so days well Julian voluntarily chose a life of being locked down for a huge chunk of her life all of that was after her near-death experience at the age of 31 so this room that she would have lived in would have had two windows so it wasn't 
completely soulless. One window would look into the main part of the church and she would be able to see the altar and and participate in a way in the church services that went on in there and she would be able to receive the the sacraments and Eucharist through this window. And then the other window would open to the outside of the church where she could see people pass her by and actually people could come and chat to her and seek spiritual direction. And the idea was that women like Julian, and there were, there were others like her at the time, would spend a life in contemplation without disturbance. Um, but, you know, far from it being like this really kind of isolated and, and hermit life existence, um, she probably actually led a fairly decent social life. Um, meals would have been brought to her regularly. There would have been people stopping by for chats and advice and for prayer. There were rumors that Julian had a cat to keep the mice at bay. There's even an outrageous idea that she actually kept bees inside this brick Um, room, which I find incredibly hilarious. Um, She may have sewn clothes for the poor and likely offered a listening ear to locals stumbling home after a big night out at the pub. Um, Her writings are like they're full of life and light and joy and an overwhelming sense of God's love. So it really feels like she flourished in her seclusion. And so this episode is not really, you know, an information session about Julian of Norwich's life. It's really designed to be a contemplation. And so what follows from here is a selection of pieces um, that I've underlined in, in my book as I've read through her work. These are some of the things that really struck me on that four day retreat that I took by myself earlier this year. And um, what I've done is I've asked Annalise and Becky if they could read out um, these sections of Julian's writings for me. And so you're going to hear each section read twice, once by Annalise and once by Becky. And in between, we've threaded a song that's been written and sung by a guy called David Benjamin Blower that contains some of Julian's words. And I'm really grateful to David for letting me use his music as a part of this. Um, And so if you ever want to come back to just listening to this section of the contemplation without all of my rambling that has just gone on, in the episode notes, I'll just include the timing for when the contemplation actually begins. So if you ever want to come back and just soak in some of these words, it will be much easier to do. So what's going to happen is I'm going to start the contemplation with some of the opening paragraphs of Julian's revelation. And then I'm going to finish it with some of the final paragraphs that she wrote. And at the very end, I'll read a prayer that's attributed to her work. And in between, you'll have these sections of her work read. And I just want to invite you in this time to actually just to be still, to settle your heart Um, to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you that through these words of these 14th century mystic, this woman whose name we don't even know, that maybe some of the revelation of God's love that she had would be like a gift to you in your life and that what she writes might actually speak to you about the character and the nature and the beauty of God. And that you might just feel a little bit more connected to God's heart and God's presence 
as you listen. So I really pray that this would be a real blessing to you. Revelations of Divine Love by Julian of Norwich When I was thirty and a half years old, God sent me an illness. For three days and three nights I lay on my bed, and on the fourth night I was given the last rites of Holy Church. No one expected me to live through the night, yet I lingered for another two days. I kept thinking I was about to die, and everyone who sat with me thought so also. Someone sent for the parish priest to be with me when I died. He placed a crucifix in front of my face and said, I have brought the image of your saviour. Gaze upon it and draw comfort from it. Everything except this cross looked ugly to me. I did not desire any kind of physical vision or revelation from God. But all of a sudden I saw the red blood trickling down from under his garland of thorns. As I watched, I realized that it was Christ himself who was showing this vision to me. In the midst of this showing, the blessed Trinity also revealed itself to me and filled my heart to overflowing with joy. I realized that this is what it will be like in the world to come for all beings and for all time. For the Trinity is God, and God is the Trinity. The Trinity is our creator and our sustainer, our beloved forever and ever, our endless joy and bliss. All things God has spoken to being, all things God does love. All things God is keep and care. All things shall be home. Our good Lord gave me a spiritual vision of his simple loving. I saw that he is everything that is good for us, everything that soothes and helps us. He is our clothing. He wraps himself around us, enfolding us in his love. His tender love is our shelter. He will never leave us. Then he showed me a small thing, the size of a hazelnut, nestled in the palm of my hand. It was round as a ball. I looked at it with the eyes of my understanding and thought, what can this be? And the answer came to me. It is all that is created. I was amazed that it could continue to exist. It seemed to me to be so little that it was on the verge of dissolving into nothingness. And then these words entered my understanding. It lasts and will last forever because God loves it. Everything that is has its being through the love of God. I saw three attributes of this small thing. The first is that God made it. The second is that he loves it. 
and the third, that he sustains it. He is the creator, the lover, the sustainer. Our good Lord gave me a spiritual vision of his simple loving. I saw that he is everything that is good for us, everything that soothes and helps us. He is our clothing. He wraps himself around us, enfolding us in his love. His tender love is our shelter. He will never leave us. Then he showed me a small thing, the size of a hazelnut, nestled in the palm of my hand. It was round as a ball. I looked at it with the eyes of my understanding and thought, what can this be? And the answer came to me, it is all that is created. I was amazed that it could continue to exist. It seemed to me to be so little that it was on the verge of dissolving into nothingness. And then these words entered my understanding. It lasts and will last forever because God loves it. Everything that is has its being through the love of God. I saw three attributes of this small thing. The first is that God made it. The second is that he loves it. And the third, that he sustains it. He is the creator, the lover, the sustainer. God has spoken to being all things God does love all things God is keep our care all things shall be home Jesus gave me all that I needed. Sin is inevitable, he said, yet all will be well, and all will be well, and every kind of thing shall be well. I believe that sin has no substance, not a particle of being, and cannot be detected at all except by the pain it causes. What this means is, it is true that sin causes all this pain, but all will be well, and all will be well and every kind of thing shall be well. When he said these gentle words, he showed me that he does not have one iota of blame for me or for any other person. So wouldn't it be unkind of me to blame God for my transgressions since he does not blame me? I have the power to make all things well, he said. I know how to make all things well, and I wish to make all things well. Then he said, I shall make all things well. You will see for yourself, every kind of thing shall be well. My soul recognized a number of teachings contained in these phrases. This was one. He does not only pay attention to lofty and noble things, but also to things that are humble and small. He cares about the one as much as the other, this as well as that. He wants us to know that he will not forget the least little thing. Here is another. From our point of view, there are many actions in this world that seem to be done with evil intent, and we see that they cause great harm. 
It seems impossible to us that such things could ever have a good outcome. When we think about this, our hearts are filled with such sorrow and grief that we cannot rest joyfully in beholding our God, which we would like to do. The problem lies with our faulty reason. We are too blind to comprehend the wondrous wisdom of God, too limited to grasp the power and goodness of the Blessed Trinity. That's why he says, you will see for yourself, every kind of thing shall be well. It's as if he had said, hold this in your heart in faith and trust and everything will be revealed to you in the end and you will see it all in the fullness of joy. Jesus gave me all that I needed. Sin is inevitable, he said, yet all will be well, and all will be well, and every kind of thing shall be well. I believe that sin has no substance, not a particle of being, and cannot be detected at all, except by the pain it causes. What this means is, it is true that sin causes all this pain, but all will be well, and all will be well, and every kind of thing shall be well. When he said these gentle words, he showed me that he does not have one iota of blame for me or for any other person. So wouldn't it be unkind of me to blame God for my transgressions, since he does not blame me? I have the power to make all things well, he said. I know how to make all things well, and I wish to make all things well. Then he said, I shall make all things well. You will see for yourself, every kind of thing shall be well. My soul recognized a number of teachings contained in these phrases. This was one. He does not only pay attention to lofty and noble things, but also to things that are humble and small. He cares about the one as much as the other, this as well as that. He wants us to know that he will not forget the least little thing. Here is another. From our point of view, there are many actions in this world that seem to be done with evil intent and we see that they cause great harm. It seems impossible to us that such things could ever have a good outcome. When we think about this, our hearts are filled with such sorrow and grief that we cannot rest joyfully in beholding our God, which we would like to do. The problem relies with our faulty reason. We are too blind to comprehend the wondrous wisdom of God, too limited to grasp the power and goodness of the blessed Trinity, that's why he says, you will see for yourself every kind of thing shall be well. It's as if he said, hold this in your heart, in faith and trust, and everything will be revealed to you in the end, and you will see it all in the fullness of joy.
Mercy and grace spring from God's essential nature and flow into us, penetrating our souls and accomplishing everything needed for the fulfillment of our greatest joy. This is a soil in which our being, our growth, and our fulfillment are planted. It is in our human nature that we have our quickening, and in grace, our ripening. These are all aspects of a single goodness, and where one operates, all are operating within us. He made humanity for love, and for that same love, he was willing to become a human being himself. Faith is rooted in us, and we are rooted in faith through the natural goodness of God by the operation of mercy and grace. And from faith come all the other good things that guide and save us. We are enclosed in Him, and He is enclosed in us. He rests in our soul and delights in directing our understanding. He dwells within us in infinite bliss drawing us ever deeper inward. He wants us to be his helpers in this inner work, giving him all our attention, learning his teachings, keeping his laws and trusting him completely. I saw that our true essence is one with God. Mercy and grace spring from God's essential nature and flow into us, penetrating our souls and accomplishing everything needed for the fulfillment of our greatest joy. This is the soil in which our being, our growth and our fulfillment are planted. It is in our human nature that we have our quickening and in grace our ripening. These are all aspects of a single goodness and where one operates, all are operating within us. He made humanity for love, and for that same love, he was willing to become a human himself. Faith is rooted in us, and we are rooted in faith through the natural goodness of God, by the operation of mercy and grace. And from faith come all the other good things that guide and save us. We are enclosed in him, and he is enclosed in us. He rests in our soul and delights in directing our understanding. He dwells within us in infinite bliss, drawing us ever deeper inward. He wants us to be his helpers in this inner work, giving him all our attention, learning his teachings, keeping his laws and trusting him completely. I saw that our true essence is one with God. God is the center of all that is and the doer of all that is done. He made everything for love, and by love all things are sustained and protected and ever shall be. 
God is everything that is good. The goodness in everything is God. God showed me that we are completely lovable in His sight, and we stand fully at the center of His love. Our Beloved wants us to realize that His love is the ground of our whole life. God is the center of all that is and the doer of all that is done. He made everything for love, and by love all things are sustained and protected and ever shall be. God is everything that is good. The goodness in everything is God. God showed me that we are completely lovable in His sight, and we stand fully at the center of His love. Our beloved wants us to realize that His love is the ground of our whole life. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all things shall be well. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all things shall be well. This book began by the grace of a gift from God, but its work as I see it is not done yet. I clearly saw that our beloved gave these showings so that we would understand love better. Through this understanding, he gives us the grace to love him and cleave to him. We are his divine treasure and he holds us in such profound love. Throughout the time of my showings, I wished to know what our beloved meant. More than 15 years later, the answer came in a spiritual vision. This is what I heard. Would you like to know our Lord's meaning in all this? Know it well. Love was his meaning. Who revealed this to you? Love. What did he reveal to you? Love. Why did he reveal it to you? For love. Stay with this, and you will know more of the same. You will never know anything but love without end. And so what I saw most clearly was that love is his meaning. God wants us to know that he loved us before he even made us. And this love has never diminished and never will. All his actions unfold from this love. And through this love, he makes everything that happens of value to us. And in this love, we find everlasting life. Our creation has a starting point, but the love in which he made us has no beginning. And this love is our true source. Thanks be to God. And to finish with a prayer of St. Julian. 
In you, Father Almighty, we have our preservation and our bliss. In you, Christ, we have our restoring and our saving. You are our mother, brother and saviour. In you, our Lord, the Holy Spirit, is marvellous and plenteous grace. You are our clothing. For love, you wrap us and embrace us. You are our maker, our lover, our keeper. Teach us to believe that by your grace, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Amen. Shall be well, no, shall be well. 